You're listening to World of Empowerment Radio. Your station for practical spirituality in a changing world. And here are your hosts, Angel Rose and Ahanu. You are very welcome. I am Ahanu and this is my lovely Angel Rose. And today we have something very different for you. We're sitting in County Wicklow with Una and Kevin O'Kelly. And Una and Kevin have a beautiful daughter by the name of Catherine, who they are unschooling. And Angel Rose is going to give us a quick little introduction as to what that is. And then we'll hear more about it from Una and Kevin. I can't really define what it is exactly. Huh? That's Except why we're going to interview. It sounds intriguing, Kevin though, doesn't Luna, it? But they are homeschooling, but they are doing it in a way where there is no curriculum that she has to learn. Mm-hmm. They're not having to submit anything to any authorities. And so uh, what we're witnessing is a little seven-year-old girl who is bright as a button, uh, mature, self-sustaining, Absolutely. and um, highly creative. So mm-hmm. we wanted to interview uh, Kevin and Catherine to find out exactly what they're doing and how they're doing it and uh, how that is going down in Ireland. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. Have a listen. Okay. So education, helping children grow. There's a variety of different ways of doing that. School is one that grew up because it was better than what was there before, which was basically people not learning an awful lot. Homeschooling is kind of an improvement on that, where the school curriculum is something that is looked after in people's own homes and provided parents are okay with keeping up or keeping ahead of the lessons, then that can work very well. That the the same content tends to be delivered at a better pace, um, at a better time for the children, uh, more respectful of their energy. So I'd see homeschooling as being, in general, a step up from standard schooling. Now, not everybody can manage to do it. You know, right. the schools still have their place. Mm-hmm. But what we're doing here is actually a different one again. We're doing unschooling, which is basically leaving the curriculum out of it completely. And this really comes from a very different fundamental view of what a young person is, who they are, which is a person who is gifted with their own purpose, with their own interests, with their own passions, with their own patience, with their own, you know, so many different characteristics. And they're very individual to the child. And the child doesn't need to be taught about that. The child has so many questions you know, in fact, it's ironic that what happens in school sometimes is that the children with loads and loads of questions get lined up in rows and benches and told to listen to somebody else's idea of what they're supposed to be learning when they have so many questions that they want answered themselves. They seem to be more efficient at learning when they follow their own agenda. They, they know what they want to learn. They know how to do it. They know... Um, basically how to make the best of their environment. So all we really need to do is manage that environment. Now, what we do is we make a kind of a target-rich environment. And uh, one of the the theory developers on this called zones of proximal development. You know, you put them into a particular environment and then they develop in a particular way. Um, So you surround them with music and musical instruments. They learn music. You surround them with Lego. They learn engineering. They learn mathematics. They learn, you know, give them a a leisure centre. They learn to swim, you know. Why? Because they want to. It's fun. It's great to learn. Uh, they see other people wanting to read. 
they learn to read because they want to. Um, now, sometimes it does mean that they don't follow the same standards and measurement forms as other people. Um, things like, uh, you know, what would an average seven-year-old be doing at a particular stage? Something that really doesn't concern us. Um, I would say, like in terms of reading, Catherine's reading is not as advanced as one of her cousins, who's very slightly older, three weeks older than her. But she wants to read. She reads because she wants to, not because she has to. Now, that, I think, sure, at some stage, she'll catch up with her cousin. Mm. But hopefully the motivation to read will have stayed there. So that's really what we're trying to work with is we're following the motivation. I'm trying to look at that as being not just something that the, the economic system determines what should be taught in schools, to help people become good, productive members of society. In fact, I remember nearly walking out in a speech when a minister came to open a building in the college I was teaching in at the time, which was a college of art and design, and made a, a wonderful speech about how these new students were going to be great contributions to the economy and great uh, producers of wealth. And you know, that was the sole focus of what he was at. And if it wasn't for me needing to bite my tongue so as to not embarrass my boss, I'd probably have made a speech from the back of the, the hall about what exactly an art college is about. Meaning, beauty, truth, communication. It's about the spirit, it's about the heart, it's about so many things other than just production. In fact, in the same way that agricultural production got to be looked after by machines, industrial production, again, more machines. Now, some of the intellectual work is being done by artificial intelligence. Great, if it can be done by a machine, let it be done by a machine. Because the work of caring, the work of loving, the work of making the world a more compassionate kind of a place cannot be done by a machine. Children know this. You know? They want to grow up in a world where people care. You know, like when you hear about these major disasters going on and, you know, even sort of looking at 9-11 and the messages that came on people's phones when they knew the planes were going to crash and things like that. It wasn't about sell this or buy that or, you know, look after this. You know, it was wanting to bring the people that they loved to say goodbye because that's the most important thing. Even the people who need to send children to school, very often, why do they do it? Because they have to go to work. They have to go out to pay the mortgage. Now, why? Because that's providing the solid base for the people to grow up in. They're going doing these things that in some ways can separate them from the children because they love the children. Now, that's the fundamental work of the human being, to love and to care and to be, to be most fully who they are and who they're created to be. I think we can do that better at home than they can in a school. The poor school teachers, they're so overloaded. If you have a look, the average class in Ireland is somewhere in the region of 28 to 30 students. can be significantly more in some schools. If you divide the teacher's time between start time and finish time, not even allowing for other activities and discipline problems and things like that, that amounts to somewhere less than 10 minutes per student in the course of the day. It's too little. Yeah. Well, not only that, you know, the amount of homework they send them home with, too, is like another full day of school. And I've never agreed with that. In fact, that was the reason I failed most classes when I was younger. It's because I, go, I wouldn't do homework. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. I think that was very And wise it's worse it. now. It's absolutely worse. Mm -hmm. And I was somebody who hated, hated school because it was unnatural for me. It was hard for me to sit in the desk for X amount of hours. Mm -hmm. uh, the only classes I ever enjoyed is when I went outside and sat under a tree 
And you probably learn more of what you learned that way than what you were forced to sit and do. Well, I, you know, I would probably be your typical attention deficit disorder child now because I could not sit still. I did not enjoy it at all. And, and so, you know, um, I actually felt a lot of sadness when I had to put my kids in school because mm-hmm. I just didn't know any other way. So when my children were... Uh, probably 16, 15, 16, they wanted to be homeschooled. But I didn't know enough at the time to teach them anything. Okay, so uh, it all worked out. It turns out there was a home home study, homeschool curriculum where they just sent you the books, and I had a friend who was a math tutor. So that worked out. But it's kind of like childbirth. Back in the day, they told us the Lamaze method was natural. I don't know if you remember. And, of course, I had my son that way, and it was and it wasn't, was not natural in the least. I was still hooked up to all these monitors and wires. So I had my last two children at home, as you did. Totally different. So I, I equate education the same. And, and everything you're saying, it's the difference between natural and unnatural or sane versus insane. And the way we are with our children is insane. Just the way it is in America. Um, I won't bring up I really I won't bring up a discussion on vaccinations, but let me just say that it's quite insane, that whole process. So so I'm so curious as to how you're getting away with this with the government and the education system. In Ireland, it's not a matter of getting away with it. It's legal. It's it legal? is not only legal, it is actually built into the fundamental approach to education. When you look at the Irish Constitution, home education is mentioned before school. The parents are the primary The parents are the primary educators of the child. So we have a constitutional right to educate Catherine ourselves. Now, there is a, um, what would you call it, a, a, a check, because... People could go away and claim to be educating the children themselves and neglecting them. That is something the government doesn't want to do. So they do actually assess the parents initially to see, are they prepared to be educating a child? And once the parents pass the initial assessment, then they may come back at later stages and just see that the child is actually benefiting from the education. But it is up to the family themselves to decide what the content of that education is. We do not need to follow anybody else's curriculum or um, their particular methods or approach or anything like that. Each individual family can decide for themselves. And I think that's far better because the needs of different families are going to be different. If you've got somebody who has got something that would be labelled as attention deficit or hyperactivity disorder, maybe they're just a kinesthetic learner that needs to be out doing things rather than... Um, um, yep, that's making a clicking noise, Catherine. Maybe they need to be doing things rather than sitting, paying attention to what somebody else is presenting. So it's it's a very different, very individual thing. If you've got a family where there's somebody with autism, you know, especially high-functioning autism, maybe it's a very particular approach. Maybe they need to be at home because just going out from the home or having visitors in the home is just simply too disruptive. Well, there is no standard recipe. Basically, what we have to do is to follow the recipe that's in her heart. You know. she, she's arrived with her own particular individual way of being her own individual purpose and it's a, a sacred gift to be asked to look after and nurture 
this little person and to, to provide for her education. Okay, so like the normal person, the normally programmed person would want to know what about her social interaction with other children? How do you address that? <laughs> it's interesting that this is one of the, the first problems that a lot of people raise. And I would say that her social interaction is actually vastly superior to most people of her age cohort. For the simple reason that in schools, what happens is that people are gathered together into single age group cohorts that do not generally optimally interact with other ages, let alone with adults. In a home education gathering, and these things happen very frequently, you know, several times a week on a good week, um, sometimes, you know, that's too much activity. Catherine says, Dad, can we just have an at-home day? And, you know, we would go out meeting people. Sometimes Catherine's looking after the, the babies. Sometimes she's playing with the five-year-olds. One of her best friends is five. And uh, other times she's going around with the teenagers and meeting people, doing things. Um, even sort of talking to a group of adults. I was at a meeting some time ago and Catherine came up with some very good ideas. So I asked Catherine to introduce them. She stood quite confidently in front of a group of 20-something adults and explained what her idea for redesigning the playground in their office block was. Now, that level of confidence, that level of communication, that level of socialisation doesn't happen by accident. It happens because children are naturally social beings. But the interaction between the age groups seems to me to be very much more like real life, very much more wholesome, very much better for character development in general than the artificial environment, which basically, I don't know if you know Animal Farm, the, the book from long ago, um, a lot of schools are generating that kind of Animal Farm situation in classrooms over and over again and not realising that it's simply not working. Mm. Let me ask a question of you, mm -hmm. Una. Because uh, I'm trying to think ahead, perhaps some years ahead, and I'm wondering if you might have any fears of, say, Catherine being able to get an, a good job in the marketplace because you're homeschooling her now. Do you know what I mean? Like, I understand that you would consider that it's the best thing and the right thing to do now, but thinking into the future, like, do you, do you foresee that there might be a possibility of regret ever about this? Um, at the moment, I don't think so. And I don't anticipate that there will be, because, I mean, our focus is on education as the whole person, not just the right. academic thing in isolation. Right. Um because I think she'll manage the academic piece um very well. Right. Um and I, yeah, I don't I don't think there'll be a difficulty no. with that bit. Whereas I would regret maybe more of the kind of the personal development and the spiritual development and the mental and emotional development. Um and I think by home educating we're able to give those aspects as much of a focus and right. uh, a priority as the, the kind of the reading, writing and the, and the maths. Right. Um, okay. She obviously loves the camera. Don't you want to ask Catherine a question? I'd love to hear her. I'd love to hear her speaking. She just, uh, she's just dying to say something. Well, uh, do you mind if we ask her a no, question? No, I do not. All right. Catherine, you, your dad mentioned that you spoke in front of a group of 25 or 30 people. Can you tell us what that was about? Well, it was 
pretty much about what well, well, I'll tell you firstly about what I was showing. There was kind of um, outdoors. It was so plain. I literally hated it. There was like different size block. So I asked my dad for some paper and a pen. And I literally drew something which was literally amazing and which would be much more fun. And then you presented it to this group of people. Yes. And I've obviously, um, I've seen for a while, I'm actually not afraid of going for, um, in front of lots and lots of people because I have, we go to, um, I don't know if my dad's told you already, but we've gone to this meeting every um, few years every year or so and for a while now and every um year we have a talent show and i've done i've all i've performed since i was about two or three in it so i'm so she's an old hat she's a performer and i hope you sent those adults a bill for your consultation did you <laughs> right. Well, if they build the adventure playground that she suggested in the place where she thought it might be better than the garden that was there, I think that would be enough reward, wouldn't it? It would be fun. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I don't have anything to say. So I do have a question. Um, you're probably aware of Summerhill School in England. Yes. Can you tell me what you feel about that and how different this approach is because only because I know that A.S. Neal believed that each person had a soul and that if you just let it alone, it would blossom on its own. And um, but there still is a school, per se, yep. with no curriculum, I understand. The Sudbury School model is very, very similar to A.S. Neal. And I've actually been involved in some of the meetings setting up a Sudbury school here. OK. How do you uh, say that school? Sudbury. Spell it for me. S U D B U R Y. Is that what you? That's the, is that what you call what you're doing? No, Sudbury. No, no, okay, it's not. No, we're we're not schooling at the moment. Okay. Now, the Sudbury School is really a a gathering together of children and adults for the purpose of learning. So it is a school in name, but not a school in terms of its curriculum. The curriculum is devised bit by bit. In fact, there's. Very few bits of structure about it, but the way that it is structured is quite political, with a small p, in that the power relations between the various different participants in the school is all worked out on the fly, where the adults and the children have equivalent votes in saying what's to go on, what's to happen, right. uh, where and when and how. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in terms of educating for society, it's actually quite advanced. Mm -hmm. In fact, some of the follow-up that's been done on both um, Summerhill and Sudbury has been quite interesting to discover that the career prospects for both seem to be particularly good. Now, I did meet some of the people who had been educated in uh, Summerhill. Mm -hmm. And in general, I've been very impressed with them. They're mm -hmm. not people who have been restricted by conformity. They've been people who are prepared to get out there and set up separate different careers in yoga, in music, in healing, you know, things that would not be standard type careers. And most of them now would be people that I'd have a great admiration for. Mm -hmm. The Sudbury School is a little bit different. It's kind of the Sudbury Valley is in uh, the US and it was the first of the A.S. Neal type school to be set up in the US and we liked their model so that's what's been set up in Wicklow now and it's gradually been growing over the course of the last two years and uh, 
it is, well, it's a possibility that we might get involved in something like that in the future. But at the moment, that's not where Catherine's at. And right. She's not looking for the more structured day-to-day, going out there, going to school kind of experience. Mm-hmm. And the what we're doing at the moment, where we're sort of doing lots of reading, lots of building, lots of artwork, lots of exploring in the forests, uh, lots of... Lego? <laughs> lots and Maternity lots wards of with Lego blocks, is that correct? <laughs> okay. What about, what would you say to parents who say, I can't afford to stay home with my child, I have to go to work? Sometimes it has to be done. In, in terms of the, what you probably call the opportunity cost of staying at home, mm-hmm. you know, it's one entire salary gone. Now, we thought that there may be brothers and sisters. It hasn't happened. So, you know, doing that for one person makes it probably the most expensive education you could think of. Mm-hmm. But I reckon it's worth it. I reckon it's worth it, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's worth uh, millions. Yeah. Well, if parents do need to go out, you know, I'd say, yeah, find the, the schools, you know, find yeah. as good a school as you can. Because there are excellent teachers out there. And now a lot of them are overloaded. They're they're stretched beyond their limits. You know, all it takes is one or two misbehaving children in a class, and they suck so so much time from the teacher's availability with the others that it's quite unfortunate. Now, but the teachers are generally getting into teaching because they're highly motivated. Yeah. They care about the people that they're teaching, and they want to do their best. So, you know, if you do have to send your children to school, well, just find a way to go to one. Where is the Sudbury School located in America? Do you know? Um, I could find the address and send it on to you. Could you do but that? Yeah, that'd yeah, be great. Yeah, Sudbury yeah. Valley is uh, the, the, it's the, the name of the location. That's actually where they get the name of the school. Let me ask you a question, Kevin. Do you think that the type of unschooling that you're doing now with Catherine, do you think that... Uh, let me ask you, what do you see as being the final outcome, the long-term outcome, if everybody was to do it? Like for, for, a, for a nation, for a, hmm. a country? Well, I'm not sure if everybody did it that worked really well, because some people do need the schools, you know, um, but in terms of tailoring the education to meet the needs of the individual child, yeah. Um, I would say we'd have a healthier society. I'd say we'd have more caring people. I'd say we'd have a uh, a decrease in the level of conflict and uh, dysfunction. You know, if we were to put the resources into things like the, the psychiatric support for those who are under major stress and things like that, um, and to make that available within a, some kind of a, a structure or system that people could draw on as needed. You know, uh, as long as the difficult cases are looked after in some sort of compassionate, helpful sort of way, um, I think the the result could be a very much healthier society. You, know, you have people who are participative with taking responsibility. And in the same way that a lot of third level educations worldwide are starting to prefer to get home educated children now because they're already self-directed learners. They don't have to be uh, de-schooled before they can actually start to become independent learners, as is really what's more appropriate in a, a third level setting. What would you uh, give me an example of somebody that you say would need school? Um, I, I'm thinking of a few names, but they're not going to make uh, much sense. But there are people who actually really do very well with structure, who need structure. Um, uh, in fact, I'd nearly go back uh, to sort of a slightly different approach and talk about Carl Jung and his way of dividing people into personality types. Mm-hmm. Now, he was using whether somebody is introverted or extroverted, whether they're intuitive or sensate in terms of the way they gather their information, whether they base their judgments on feeling or on thinking, and then 
which of the other two is primary? You know, the, the, the judging or the perceiving is the, the primary of the, the previous two. And that sets up a grid, 4 by 4 it's 16 personality type grids. Now, some people, the, probably the SJ types, who are sensate in their way of dealing with the world and judging, they like things clear-cut and crisp. No, they're going to like a curriculum. They're going to like the way they can say, well, this is what I need to know, this is when I need to know it. You know, to put them into the, the free-flowing side of structure where the more artistic side and the more musical side is just given free flow would possibly be as much of a violence to them as doing things the other way around. So are you saying then that you think the conventional system is appropriate in some cases? For some, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For those not who, for everybody. It certainly no, wouldn't work for me. No. Not. I would say the conventional approach really does to work as the way it should requires much smaller class sizes than we have in most parts of the world because it takes a bit more individual attention and care. But the the structure of curriculum, while it may not be suitable for a lot, is suitable for some. Now, where does Montessori fit into this picture? Oh, she was the one who kicked an awful lot of it off. Maria Montessori was a genius. Uh, and really, she started so many people thinking in terms of the actual development of the child rather than the needs of the society. You know, um, schools you know, were set up because they needed clerks. They needed people with the numerical skills. They needed people with the literacy skills, you know, some of which is done by computers now. But the basic, you know, the three R's, you know, reading, writing and arithmetic, you know, that was what schools were originally set up for. Mm -hmm. Whose needs were that serving? You know, if somebody really wanted to be a healer, did that work well? They definitely needed those skills, but it wasn't enough. You know, mm -hmm. so you know the 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 development of the educational system has been huge. But what Maria Montessori did was to look at the natural development of the child, and look at the way that they will draw on the available resources to meet the needs what they have. So what she was doing was assembling these vast arrays of toys and resources, books, music, you know, um, all sorts of things. And basically just making sure that the ones that were available to the child were the ones that were most appropriate for what their questions were, what their thoughts were, what their ideas were. Um, what's interesting is that Montessori herself had actually designed the educational philosophy up to about the age of 25. You know, people think of Montessori, particularly in this country, as being preschool. And Catherine had the benefit oh, of a Montessori preschool. Yeah. There is a Montessori school that not that far from us that only does primary. Mm -hmm. But... The Montessori approach was actually what I was using in college when I was a third level lecturer, where I was providing the tools for people to explore in a variety of different ways what they could uh, could think of and what they could do. All right, one more. What about Rudolf Steiner schools? Now, those ones I have a bit more mixed feelings on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, we're asking your opinion. Again, Steiner was, uh, what I particularly like about him was the, the the wholeness of his vision of what the human being actually was. However, I have found that there are kind of two camps among the Steiner followers. Some who say, well, Steiner did it this way, so we will do it exactly this way. And others who sort of kind of understand that Steiner kept writing, he kept doing things, he kept thinking things. Uh, you know, he virtually contradicted himself in several places because his thought had changed, because his experience had changed. And another set of Steiner followers will follow the inspiration rather than the actual letter of the law. So I don't have that much time for the fixed one. 
Okay. One the more. other one is definitely, it's so whole, it has room for the spiritual, it has room for the artistic, it has room for the athletic, it has room for uh, so You're many talking the unschooling now. No, I'm talking about Steiner. Oh, you're talking about Steiner. Okay, you're still talking about... Go ahead, sorry. Yeah. No, no, Steiner would be one of the inspirations that we'd use in our approach to unschooling. Okay. Um, Largely because of the breadth of vision and how he managed to bring that in. And he included, like, uh, even things like Eurythmy, where he was mixing movement and sound in a way that was not conventional dance, you know? Now, we do things like that where we're actually mixing uh, song and Lego. Mm-hmm. We're mixing some of the television things. We're mixing sort of uh, athletics and, and, and biology. Um, uh, one day we went out orienteering, and the weather wasn't particularly good. And Catherine was kind of miserable for the first little bit of the walk until she started getting so angry with the mud that she came out the other side of the anger and realised that the mud was different in different places. And we started exploring the mud as we went. And there was green mud, and there was brown mud, and there was black mud, and there was slippy mud, and there was gooey mud, and sticky mud. By the time you finished, she was singing a song about being the princess of mud. (laughs) Now, that was learning at its best, because we were looking at the biology of what was making the the, the moss that was gone into the mud. You know, what was the the friction coefficient? Now, we didn't use this language, but she was studying the practicality of it. You know, uh, how does landslip work? You know, why are there landslides in San Diego and things like that? That is based on... Things like, why is the moisture level in the mud so important for the, the friction inside the soil? You know? She's learning it practically, you know, and that then forms the interest that she can then ask the questions. If she wants to learn more about that, I'm going to have to pass on to somebody who's much more skilled in geology than I am. So what, do you, look for them. what is your feeling about television and Internet? Only because there are parents that don't believe their children should be watching video games or watching television. So what is your thoughts about that? Well, In this context of unschooling. You have to sort of, <laughs> sort of put in a kind of a caveat. Uh, I am a former lecturer in information communications technology in an art college. Okay. <laughs> okay. So uh, that biases my background provided these things are being used as a proper communications tool. They are wonderful. You can do things with animation that you cannot do with ordinary sort of acted uh, scenes. You know, there are possibilities, there are inspirations, there there are so many things that are are going on and things like that, that are creative, they're communicative. You know, there's meaning attached to them. You know, if somebody is stuck in front of a television set for six or seven hours a day, just going, no, that is not productive. On the other hand, if they watch a drama and say, no, if they had handled that conflict a little bit differently, they could have sorted it out much quicker. Mm. Because we've got somebody who notices things like that. Yeah, well, usually what I do do, which is actually what I mix is, I mix um, building with TV because... Um, I like Lego and I also like doing TV so sometimes I watch TV while I do Lego so I'm pretty much doing engineering while I'm doing screen time all right and one more now and the other thing about the internet I haven't addressed that one yes go ahead provided safety 
things are put in place. And this, is, this applies with you to television too. Now, we have a separate router that Catherine's little tablet, which is an old iPhone of mine, um, she links into a different router. The iKids router is specifically designed for children. and It has filters in to make sure that the wrong kind of content doesn't get through. Uh, at the moment, she's not allowed to access social media you know, and won't be until she's actually ready to handle it. So, uh, you know, we we do these things in stages, but looking after the, the basic safety needs and the engagement. But there is so much stuff that is on television and is in computer games that is educationally wonderful. It used to be, now this is quite a long time back, it used to be that computer games were just sort of mental chewing gum, you know. Uh, yeah. They were uh, shoot 'em up games going from place to place and sort of, you know, uh, they've advanced so much beyond that. There's a lot of really interesting stuff. There's a lot of good edutainment, as they're calling it now, you know, where the educators have actually, and, and sometimes the best educators have actually got in to design some of the games so that skills will be developed as they go. Like there's one particular, want to tell them about the monster? Oh yeah, I um I actually don't watch any video games, but the, I do actually kind of play one video game, but it's actually educational. And how do I say it? Educational. Um, it's called Teacher Monster to Read, and I have a cute little monster in the game, and it helps me to teach myself to read. Fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, one with piano as well. I'm doing piano um, music. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and your opinion on Jay Krishnamurti School? I don't know enough about Krishnamurti to really come in with a, a, a good critique, but okay. the few bits that I have read, um, again, it's got a very whole revision of the human being. Yes. And that's what I like about it. Uh, the the, um, the preparedness to develop the spirit, to develop the psychic abilities, you know, which are not covered by many of the other approaches. You know, it's not mentioned that often in Montessori's work. You know, but in Krishnamurti's, he has the, the space and the time for um, a, a lot of um, non-conventional approaches to education. Do you have any thoughts on that, Catherine? Uh, or Una? Do you have anything else you'd like to say about home education, about learning at home? Well, I definitely say it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, and what one of the my favorite things about it is that I get to see my friends a bit more often. Okay. Yeah, some of the friends which um go to school I don't see so often. Okay. We could spend hours with and have so many questions that we'd love to really ask, but. In the interest of time and efficiency, we, I think, have got a really cool insight. You have a nice beginning. A, a super insight we into what... We can continue this conversation can continue across the water. F, absolutely. Yes, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very important conversation and a very joyful one, I have to say. The other day after we left Kevin and Catherine, we talked about you all the way home. We talked about how lovely you were and how smart and mature you were. Just a delight to be with. And uh, so that's why we had to come back and and find out more. So here we are. Okay, thank you very much for entertaining us. You're very welcome. Very welcome. Look forward to the continuing conversation. Well, there you go. We hope you enjoyed that. Onward to the enlightened world. And let's choose the happy dream. That's right.
Think, Unschooling. Take, and take care of our children. Unschooling. And All take right, care bye. of the children. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Angel Rose and Ahanu on World of Empowerment Radio, your station for practical spirituality in a changing world.